Well, good Tuesday evening to each one of you. God bless you. What a beautiful, beautiful day God has given us. As I was driving today from Brother Allen's to Brother Levi's, well, to Brother Allen's, to Brother Jonathan's, to Brother Levi's, the sun was shining. The, the um, temperature was 50-plus, I believe, again today, and I think it's calling for that in the next couple of days. And spring, new life is in the air. New life is there's signs of the season all around us. And it was just a day to praise the Lord, and I trust that you had a good day doing that. And now to top off the beautiful day that God's given us, I've been honored to uh, have my parents here tonight. They surprised me that I traveled down here. Uh, Gerald and Jane Gaiman as my parents' names. I think I'm not sure if in the introduction last night if I had given their names necessarily. And then their friends Dale and Ann and Icewonder are here. So welcome here, and I trust that tonight is no matter who we are and where we come from and our faith in Christ is what's going to unite us and bond us together in Christian love tonight, and we can bring God true honor and glory as we worship him. Uh, also, Brother Philip, it's good to see you as well. Thank you for coming over tonight. It's been a, uh, a while, I guess, since we've seen each other, so it's a pleasure to have you with us as well. I'm thinking of Jesus as he was looking at that woman there of Samaria one day, And he talked to her very candidly as he looked at her and he told her, he said, ye worship, ye know not what. He was talking to her about her husbands and he had a a conversation with her there and he said, ye worship, ye know not what, but we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Can I say tonight, good evening, such? It is your heart's desire to worship in true spirit, in in, uh, spirit and in truth. And then the Bible says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And I trust that your heart's desire. This isn't just a service that we perform. This isn't just a routine that we walk through. This is God's holy place where God wants to come and dwell in the hearts of his people. Not just here, but as we live our lives each day. But tonight, let's, let's truly tune in to the Holy Spirit of God and worship him in spirit and in truth. I trust that your heart's desire And I'm going to ask you to do just as we did last night. Stand to your feet and let's prayerfully sing again. Spirit of the living God, come and fall fresh on me. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. of the living God fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, truly once again we do welcome you here. We invite you here. We ask you to come, Lord, and to do just as we sang, to melt us, to mold us, to fill us, Lord, and to use us. Lord, how needy we are of you tonight. How small we feel, how small we are in comparison to the greatness and the magnitude of you as our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Daddy who has accepted us as your sons and your daughters as we but by faith put our trust in Jesus and live in accordance to your will as you call us. I pray, O God, tonight that in this service and in this message you would catch our hearts. You would draw us unto the Father. You would help us to be aware of the Holy Spirit as it moves among the pews here tonight. You would draw us unto yourself. You would strengthen our commitments to Jesus. And you would strengthen our commitments to the word of God. You would strengthen us, Lord, as we by faith walk with you. I just pray that your spirit would be here. And we pray again, Lord, that the powers of Satan would be held at bay. 
that they would be defeated with any work that he would like to do in the hearts and lives of each one that's gathered in or anyone who's listening in on the phone lines tonight as well. We just pray your blessing on them, Lord, and we pray for your power to come forth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. How many of you have one of these tonight? If you have a Bible in your hands, can you just put your Bible in the air? Hold your Bible high. We have a lot of Bibles in the air. We have a lot of Bibles that are held high. How much do you love your Bible? How much do you spend time in your Bible? You can put them down. Thank you. Where is your Bible tonight? Your Bible is in your hands. Your Bible is something that you carry with you to church. Your Bible is something that you carry with you to prayer meeting. Your Bible is something that you carry with you as you have your devotional. Your Bible is something that, where is it at on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? Is it something that comes down off the shelf or is it something that you pull out of wherever it has been located after you got home from church on Sunday and you spend time in that Bible, in that book, in that Word of God that we call it, and that it is, that God-breathed, Holy Spirit-filled Word of God, the Word of life that's in this book that you hold in your hands tonight? How much do you value it? How much of a treasure is it to you and to me tonight? Do you love the Word of God? Do you believe that it is our roadmap that's going to lead us home to heaven one sweet day? It has all of the answers for my life. It has all the answers for your life. It has all the answers for any person that you will meet on this side of eternity. Every need God is able to meet in your life and in mine as we pursue Him and as we Draw near to him. And this is how we let him talk to us. I know I am guilty tonight. I am guilty of coming to God's house and going through the motions and knowing what the expectations are. But maybe having heard very little of the Holy Spirit of God as he was speaking. And sometimes we need to just block out the person that's sitting beside me, or the fears of what they might be thinking or saying or doing, and we need to just really put ourselves in the presence of God. And if we can't do it at church, we should for sure be finding that safe place in our prayer closets and in our homes each day. I'd like to talk about being zealous of sound doctrine, being passionate about loving the Word of God tonight. If we want to be revived in our hearts, if we want to be revived in our spirits, we need to learn to love. I mean love like David loved the Word of God and spend a lot of time drinking from the fountain of the kingdom of God. If we're going to be zealous, if we're going to be passionate, if we're going to be in love with the Word of God, we need to be sold out. We need to be all out for Jesus as we pursue Him. Zealous means, as I looked it up, it means filled with or motivated by zeal. Okay, so I look up the word zeal. What does zeal mean? Enthusiastic devotion to a cause, ideal, or goal, and tireless diligence in its furtherance. Never getting exhausted as we continually are passionate. Now all of us, if we we want to speak in reality terms here tonight, grow weary in well-doing sometimes. We grow tired. And sometimes the tempter comes along, Satan himself, and will plant that temptation in our minds that this is too difficult to be passionate about loving our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's easy to allow him to be Savior, maybe, by, by, living, by accepting him by faith. But then the cost of what it requires of me to follow his word and to follow his will in obedience, and it's tough for us to say, fully surrendered, Lord divine, I will be true to you, no matter what the cost may be. And that's tough sometimes, especially if we have loved ones who are going the other direction. We're going upstream and they're just going with all the crowd downstream. Let me ask us an honest question tonight. Are we excited about what we found when we met Jesus? Do you remember that moment and that time when you gave your heart to Jesus, when the burden was so great when the heart was so heavy, when you knew that there was something that needed to take place and you've been taught about Jesus and you finally yielded yourself, you've acknowledged that I need something more than what I'm able to handle on my own and I need Jesus. And the excitement was you said, Jesus, please come into my heart. Please come into my life. I want you to make me a brand new man. 
a brand new woman for you. And he come in. Ask and ye shall receive. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. And as we have invited Jesus in, we've, we have experienced that very thing. He says, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice, I will come into him. And I, I believe that the majority of this congregation here tonight has experienced that. To one level or another. I'm not saying we all need to feel that burden that just rolled away necessarily. But we should certainly have felt a, a definite change and a moment in your life that you can remember that is when Jesus came into my heart and my life. And then what have we done in our relationship with him as we asked him to come and be Lord of my life? Are you passionate about telling others what you found when you met Jesus? Do you believe the Bible truly is the answers to our life? Well, let's think about sound doctrine here a little bit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 says, It admonishes us that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. The wind is blowing hard in 2019, isn't it? There's a lot of winds that are blowing. There's a lot of things that are passing our ears. There's a lot of things that's coming and going. There's a lot of distractions that are in front of us and behind us and beside us. There's a lot of noise in our day and age. We're to be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. How do we expect not to be blown away if we're not rooted and grounded in Jesus? Colossians 2, 7 urges us to be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. To be rooted, rooted in the word of God, rooted and built up in him. I don't know how many young people I can talk to who are struggling with an area of sin in their life and they don't know how to overcome, how can we, get in, how can we become, become an overcomer? How do we live in victory? How do we overcome this sin and this temptation that is so strong and I know that it's pulling me down, but what do I do about it? And so we begin to talk about their relationship with Jesus. Well, they've been looking at a friend or they've been looking to the church or they've been looking to the pastor or they've been looking to somebody in fleshly form to give them what they need to be an overcomer and it just doesn't happen. And it won't happen and it never will happen. And so we begin to read the Bible. We ask them how they're doing in their personal walk with God and we begin to hold them accountable and, and they begin to hold me accountable and I, I, walk, I want that in my life as well to help keep me sharp, to keep me strong in the word of God, to understand what God wants to say to Mark, what God wants to say to him in that area. Does God care of the trials and the temptations that we face in life? Absolutely. Then why don't we let him speak to us? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Why is it so hard to open up our Bibles during the day when nobody else is around and just spend time saturating ourselves with the Word of God. Well, you say, because we have a schedule. We have, life has to happen, and it does. You're right. Sometimes we can't get out of bed in time in order to get it done before we start our day. And we wake up too late, and we rush into the day, and we begin to talk roughly, and all of a sudden we have a child that might be weeping because of the way Dad's been talking, or whatever the case might be. You put in there whatever illustration you want to, but all of a sudden you realize that I've never even asked God to lead me today, let alone to talk kindly to my children. It takes work, dads. It takes work, moms, right? How much do we love God's word and how much do we believe that God wants to help us in these areas of our lives? Our belief system tonight matters. It really does. What we believe in our hearts, what we believe in our minds, it really does matter. I can recall a man sharing his testimony one night. And he said he found himself going up under a big old oak tree. He crawled up under the big old oak tree and he cried out to God and he said, God, I don't care if I lose home, if I lose job, if I lose friends, if I lose family, whatever, Lord, I'm going to quit compromising. And I'm going to stand for you. I'm going to stand for you no matter the cost, no matter what it may be. I'm going to stand for you. I have five points tonight about sound doctrine and what we can learn from God's holy word if we're willing to apply it to our lives. Sound doctrine is built, first of all, on the word of God, right? It's pure in its purity, and it's, it's the truth that sets our souls free. 
Are you in bondage tonight or are you in freedom? Are you living in freedom? Is your heart heavy tonight because of those chains that are holding us back? Or are we alive and free in Jesus because we have given that to him? We've asked him to take that in our lives. 2 Timothy 3, verses 15 and 16. Again, some familiar verses for us. From a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The Bible is the word of God and it is infallible and it will teach us and show us how to live our lives. I've shared this story numerous times back home and I'll share it again because I recall as I was listening to a a man that some of us here would know. He began to share with his family as they were sitting in the room prior to his mother's funeral. They were sharing memories of their mother before the funeral had begun and this man said he wanted to share this about his mom. He said this man was probably 60 years old, 55 or 60 years old when he shared this, but he said back many, many, many years ago when I was just a four-year-old boy, he said one night I was sleeping and I woke up in the middle of the night and I had to go down to, downstairs. I needed to use the restroom. And so he said as a four-year-old boy, I got out of my bed and went down the steps and as I was getting ready to round the corner to go use the restroom, I noticed that off to my left, Into my mom's sewing room, there was a light on. And so he said, I was going to go turn the light off as a little boy, a little four-year-old. And he went around the corner to turn the light off. And what he saw was something that made an impression on his life for the rest of his years until that moment. He said, I went around the corner, and there was my mom. She was sitting in her chair. She was sitting at the sewing machine. He said, except the lid was down, and her Bible was on top. Her hands were in. Her face was in her hands. And she was praying. She wasn't just praying, but she was weeping. And this four-year-old little boy, in his innocence, and as he was just waking up, he was like, Mom, what are you doing? What are you doing down here in the middle of the night? And he said, what she turned and told me, he would never forget. That precious mama looked down into the eyes of her four-year-old son, and she said, Son, this was, she, he, was a, he was one of five boys. There happens to be five boys in our family as well, by the way. I'm the fifth of, of five boys. This mama looked down into her eyes, to the eyes of her son, and she said, God gave me five sons to raise for him. And she said, son, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to raise them for God. And she said, I'm trying to find out how. Woo. A message was sent to that four-year-old little mind that made an impression, I believe, as he grew up and as he wanted to serve the same God that his mom was serving, just like we found out about Rahab with with the children of Israel last night. I don't have teenage children yet. I still have young ones, and so it's maybe a little easier to hold them close right now. But moms and dads, be willing to give up sleep For the sake of even your little ones, even your children, even your teenagers, even the ones who are wayward. There's been prayers tonight that's been offered. There's a brother that shared tonight of his brother that's wayward, that's lost. And he's struggling and he wants to find wisdom to know how to go. I don't even know sure which brother it was. I could just hear him back here behind me as he was requesting it tonight. You brothers know probably. He wanted wisdom to know how to reach and a burden to know how to reach these loved ones who we rub shoulders with every day. And yet, they're headed for a Christless eternity providing God changes their life. And how can I be used as a vessel to channel them back into the shepherd? I don't think we're going to have the power or the words or the wisdom or anything, friends, if we neglect from letting God fill us up. Fill us up with his word. Fill us up with his truth. Fill us up with his life. Fill us up with his person. And how are we going to know how to live for him if we don't ask him to every day? And by devoting ourselves to him daily. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. This is why we believe and trust the Bible. Because it is safe. It is right. It is true. It is absolute. There is nothing that any pastor can get up here behind this pulpit and give to you that's going to give you what you need to make it through the the trials and the difficulties of life. 
And we know that life is full of blessings and storms, blessings and storms. You think about back through your life, that's what you see, right? Blessings, many blessings. We are a blessed people and we say it often. And we also admit that we take it for granted. But then there's also storms that God, I believe, sends our way. It's not fun. It's not what we want. It's not what we desire. But God sends those things to help us draw to him. And that's why the Apostle Paul came to a place where he said, I can glory in tribulations because he knew that it was what was right and it was what was good for him. And I just wonder sometimes how much God is not able to even get through to us in those areas because we're not that close to him. We're going through the motions sometimes. And we've lost out in our personal connection, our personal relationship that only I can do for me and only you can do for you. Nobody can do it for us. Listen carefully. The Bible has an author that is superhuman. It has been tested and tried, but it still stands faithful and strong. It never needed to or ever will change its message. The Bible never needs updated. It's the only book that's entirely and eternally true. It's the only book that has the power within to set sinners free. It's the only book that works a transformation in the human heart. (coughs) Excuse me. It contributes happiness, morale, and spiritual uplift to the soul. We're talking about the Bible. The Word of God. The God-breathed, holy, inspired Word of God. It satisfies deep yearnings within the heart. The Bible does. It's the Word of God. It's absolutely reliable. It's infallible. It's the only message in book form given as a direct revelation from God to man. Is there any reason tonight to not be excited and passionate about drinking from this fountain? It changes lives. It transforms us into new creatures in Christ Jesus. It contains light to direct our way, food to sustain us or support us spiritually, comfort to cheer us. It brings life to our souls. And it's about at this time that most of us just hang our heads because we feel failure. We know that we have neglected in our relationship of getting to know our Jesus that we profess and all the world around us that watches our lives says and knows that we profess. And sometimes we have to admit and we say, God, we are sorry. We have a form of godliness, but we are denying your power and your strength and your infilling that you want to give us every day to make a difference, not just in my life, God, but in that lost neighbor and in that lost friend. God, please forgive me. And we say that honestly and we say that sincerely. And we fall on our knees before him in repentance. Repentance, just as Rahab was willing to do. In order to experience change. Go with me to Psalm 119. Psalms 119. The longest chapter in the Bible. David. Exemplifies. Making the Bible his highest priority in life. He says it in verse 97. Psalm 119 verse 97. Read along with me. Oh how love I thy law. It is my meditation. All the day. So it doesn't mean that David had his Bible out all day long and it was in front of him and he was just really trying to read it. But he read his Bible, I think, in the mornings. He must have read his Bible at the beginning of the day. And then that is what he left his mind ponder on and meditate on and fill himself with. That's what he did. He meditated on God's law all the day. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies. Listen, what happens whenever we read the word of God? There is wisdom that comes forth. There is, there is spiritual understanding. Our eyes begin to see things that we haven't seen before as we embrace God and let him speak to our hearts. He has made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I can't get away from my enemies. I can't get away from those who are uh, rejecting me or criticizing me or making fun of me for walking with God. But I know that God is giving me the strength and the grace. Therefore, he says, I'm wiser than mine enemies. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Wow. Here is a student who has teachers, but he finds himself even wiser than them because of what God is giving him in life. For thy testimonies, he says, are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate 
sin. I hate every false way. Something that I'm challenged with is is things that we stood out against and called sin 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 5 years ago or maybe 2 years ago. We begin to get used to the dark. And we start saying, well, is it sin? Is it not? Is it sin? Is it okay? I know the church... My brothers, my sisters, maybe say it is, or maybe they say it isn't, but is it really? And we begin to listen to those doubts. Yea, hath God said, just like Satan said to Eve when the serpent came to her and said, you need to take part of that fruit. God just don't want you to become like him. And we begin to listen to that. And we begin to listen to that. David says, through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. He has the understanding, he has the conviction, because God showed him in his word. And sometimes it's good to get together and discuss things and to help build conviction based on what the brothers may feel and help shed light. And I believe God uses us to help strengthen one another, but it's really, truly, the, the solely the word of God itself that's going to build us up and give us that proper understanding and light that needs to be shed on our path to show us how to walk. The story just came to my mind of a a man who was was married to a, a wife, of course, and she passed away. And he loved his wife dearly. He was married to her for maybe 30 years or so. And this wife, he loved her so much in so many ways, and one of the very simple practical things that he loved about her Maybe he was married to a southerner because y'all are really good cooks down here. We are up north as well. Our wives are. But the hospitality down here just goes to the extra level. Y'all are amazing with your hospitality. Maybe he was married to somebody down in the south. I'm not sure. But one of the things he missed about his wife was her good cooking. She had very good food. But as she passed away and he began to live life by himself, he began to long to have a wife again that would cook him good meals. And so he married again. And he married this this lady that was just a gem of a lady, very good person. And she began, of course, to make him meals just like her his first wife did. And as he would come home and he began to partake of this food, he couldn't help but compare it to what his first wife's food tasted like. And he began to tell his second wife some things that he shouldn't have told her. He said, I'm sorry, but he said, your food is just not as good as what my first wife's food was like. And how did the second wife begin to feel? She began to feel like she wasn't able to measure up to what this man had experienced all of his life. And this, this, this woman was just devastated, and she tried her best to, to make the best meals for her husband, food that was to her was good, but for some reason she wasn't able to compete or get uh, satisfy her husband's desires. And so one day, she was working in the house. She had the food on the, the stove. And she, she got busy with something, and she didn't get back in time, and there was a, there was a little bit of aroma of, of burntness in the, in the air. And she knew, oh, boy, for sure she's going to be in trouble this time when her husband comes home from work. He'll be, she'll be sure to remind her that this food is just not, not real good. It was just a hint of burntness. It wasn't a lot, but it was there. So she prepared the table. The husband came home. They sat down. They said grace together. And the husband took that bite. And she was watching him. And what happened was he took that bite and he ate it. I think he maybe took a second bite. And he, was, he looked up at his wife. And his face lit up. He said, oh, honey. He said, what did you do different? This food tastes just like the, my wife's, my first wife. This food is so delicious. It is so good. And the truth was revealed. His first wife provided burnt food. And sometimes, you know what happens? I liken that to spiritual darkness. We get so used to the dark. We get so used to sin around us. And we begin to partake of that burnt food. What is not really right and good and proper for us. Maybe it won't kill us right away. But it's not necessarily good for us. And we begin to become used to that. And we don't really see the pure word of God in its holiness and in its truth and in its light that, that it calls us to. Verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And all of a sudden the path gets a little dark or a little gray or a little different. And we can't quite see our way through. And we're not sure what we believe anymore because we have strayed off of the path. And we began to partake of that burnt food. And it's subtle. It's subtle things that we partake of. 
that takes us away from the pure and holy word of God. Maybe it wasn't southern cooking after all. Are we used to burnt food? I didn't, I didn't bite into uh, Sister Janet here just continually tries to put food in front of me. I'm going to use you as an example a little bit. And I remember this from being down south before, but you all are just extremely generous. I, I really appreciate it. As long as you all don't take offense whenever I say, this man doesn't need to eat anymore. Okay? I really appreciate it. But are we getting used to eating more than we should, for one? Of course we are. We're not talking about the sin of gluttony necessarily tonight. But that's something in and of itself. But are we getting used to, to eating burnt food spiritually tonight? Or where is our Bibles? Are we drinking from this fountain instead of from the fountain of this world? And there's all kinds of cisterns out there for us to partake in of this world that crowds out the word of God. Sound doctrine tonight also, secondly, magnifies the holiness of God. Listen carefully as I read Isaiah 6, verse 3. The seraphim hovering about the throne of God cried out, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Psalm 145, 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. The word gives us an understanding as to how we approach our Father. And then God looks at us. And he says, be ye holy as I am holy. Be ye holy as I am holy. Where the presence of God is tonight, there is holiness. Thirdly, tonight's sound doctrine declares the depravity of man. Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. For that all have sinned because of one man's sin. We all have sinned. It's not just Adam's fault, it's our fault as well. Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I can know it. I've experienced it. The heart is desperately wicked. It's deceitful. And no matter how holy we may feel like we are or are not tonight, the heart is deceitful. And it's desperately wicked. And no matter what we have in place, what standards or guidelines or rules we may have, there's, there's a place for all of them. But if the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked and it's going to continue to pursue its flesh and what it wants, it's going to get it. It'll find it, regardless of what guidelines we have up. And God sees that. That's where God works. That's where God sees. Man is limited in helping promote the holiness of God. Genesis 6, 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it grieved the heart of God. I wonder what God looks at and what God sees. And how few there will be that find the way as God looks down from heaven, how few is that number going to be when he says, Son, go and bring my children home. The imagination of the hearts was only evil continually. And you hear all kinds of conversation and that we're living in a day that's worse than Sodom and Gomorrah now and surely God's going to come within the next five years and I don't know. We don't know any of that necessarily. And for, for sure when you hear a date that's set that Jesus is probably going to come back then, likely that's not going to happen either because man doesn't know the time or the minute or the hour or the moment. But sound doctrine declares the depravity of man. It reveals to us our desperate need in order to be saved. That's what the Word of God does. It brings it to our attention. It helps us understand that I'm a sinner. And I need salvation. I need to be rescued. I need to be delivered. It teaches me of my unworthiness and how sin separates us from God. That's what the Word of God does. It shows us and teaches us that. Praise God, His mercy and His grace is greater than our sin. Greater than our sin. And I thank God. I'm not going to share it tonight because my mom and my dad's here. But my conversion experience one night as I was milking cows. I will share just a little bit of it. I was milking cows with my mom. <laughs> Maybe I'll share this another time as well. January 14, 2002 was whenever God called my name. 
and told me this, Mark, it's a good, it's a good, and it was no audible voice. It's not like I heard God's voice itself, but there was a message that I had received as we had just finished up the milk and my mom had taken the milker over to the, to the milk house. She didn't know any of this was going on. There was, there was a, a revealing of God's Holy Spirit that came around me as a young man. And I found my, my hands beginning to, to shake and to tremble. And I felt the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and a message that said, Mark, if you don't accept me into your life tonight, there's a good chance the road that you're on, you never will. And I knew I was faced with a decision. I was faced with a, mo- with a decision in that moment to say yes. I, I mean, the Holy Spirit had been working in my heart months prior to this, of course. But I had, I had that moment to decide if yes, I would accept him or no, I'm going to continually reject what I know I needed to do. And praise God, January 14, 2002, God gave me the courage, a courage that I didn't have in and of my own, to walk out of that back barn door and down a couple of steps and around the corner there at the little silo where I fell on my knees and I cried out to God. And the freedom and the joy and the excitement, I remember in that moment, the change of heart that had taken place as I got up off of my knees, I was so happy. I was so happy. And it wasn't, I wanted to go tell my dad, and I did. And I wish I could tell you that life was just, I lived happily ever after. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be wonderful if once we just chose to give up our, our lives to Jesus and we just decided to walk with him, that life was just grand and glorious. And we, life would just be that much different than the one who continually tries to live life on their own. That's really when the battle begins. In the River Brethren setting, oftentimes we said that's when you made a beginning because that's when the, really the journey begins with Jesus. You made a beginning. You made a beginning in a real battle now. And you're on God's side, though. We're on the winning side every time. And so that's why we, we use him as our strength. We use him as our power. He will make the difference as we continually claim him and ask him to help us. Psalms 40, verses 1 through 3. You can turn there and you can read them. But that's three verses that have become very precious to me since my conversion and walk with God. Fourthly, tonight, sound doctrine teaches, it teaches that there are two places after this life that every soul will go to, either one or the other, a literal heaven and a literal hell. The Bible teaches that. This isn't just something that the River Brethren believe. This isn't just something that the Mennonites believe. This isn't just something that the Anabaptist people at large believe. The Bible teaches it. The Bible teaches us that. And I'll never forget the response of a man with, that I used to work with. A man who had long hair. He had tattoos up and down both arms. He had a cigarette in his mouth. And he was talking with me. And he was serious. God was working on his heart. He was a man that was searching. He was a man that you would, you would maybe tend to want to just go out around and, and avoid him. Because you just kind of struck fear in your heart when you looked at him. But you know sometimes those men who look the most unfriendly and most macho and most difficult to talk to or sometimes the softest people want you break down that shell and begin to talk with them. And that's who this man was. And I remember he was a rough-looking character, but inside he was searching. As we were having conversation, I remember handing him a track. And I don't know if it was the right track to give him or not. It was something that we had there at work, and I brought to him, and it was a, it was a picture on the front of that track of a flame. Of, it was describing hell. It said on that track, hell is for real. Hell is for real. And I'll never forget, he looked at me and his eyes were wide open with fear and terror. He said, do you really believe that? Do you really think that is so? It was a brand new thought to him. And I began to tell him about heaven and hell. Heaven is the most glorious place that none of us can even imagine, begin to imagine how glorious it's going to be. Just like hell is such a horrible place of torment that you and I can't even come close to fathoming how terrible of a place it is. That's reality, folks. That's not something, I know we as preachers sometimes we say, well, we don't want to scare people into the kingdom of God. And I agree with that. But there's also a reality, friends, that's coming for, for those who are the enemies of God. And we need to be aware of that. We need to realize that the Bible does teach that. And there's consequences for our choices here in this life. Sound doctrine teaches of a literal heaven and hell. And he looked at me and he says, is it really true? And it was a beautiful opportunity to sit down with that young man and continue to talk and continue to work. And I've I've lost track of that man. Now I've often wondered how he's doing. 
But is there some seeds that's been sown that hopefully has brought him and will continue to bring him to God? The Bible says concerning hell, Matthew 25, verse 41, and, four, and that then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, verses 40, verse 46 says, These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. And I remember as a young man laying in my bed at night, and I can remember that with, with conviction in my heart, with sin in my life. I knew that as I was sneaking out of the house in the middle of the night, my parents knew nothing about it. The AC would be running. The dog, would be, well, the dog wasn't usually barking. But I would run out to the end of the lane and I would let my friends come and pick me up and I would go out into the night. And then the nights that I wouldn't do that, I would lay in my bed and I would remember thinking of what the horrible consequences of these decisions are going to be. As a young man, I would go out and do things that I shouldn't have been doing. I shouldn't have known anything about and I remember laying there in my bed, and I remember thinking, what, does it, what, what will it be like to burn forever? I knew it. Nobody had to preach to me. Nobody had to tell me. I knew where I would go if I would die because my life is, was separated from knowing God, knowing Jesus as my Savior. And I remember thinking, what must it be like to be burning and burning and burning forever? And I'd think, God, surely you would have mercy. Surely, God, you would have mercy on those souls who are, who are cast into everlasting fire. Surely after a hundred years, which is a long time in you and I's mind, surely, God, you would have mercy and restore them and bring them into a place where it's not such horrible torment. And the Bible talks about where there's a bottomless pit and where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. We can't fathom, friends, what that must be like. But I just remember that going through and around and around in my mind of the horribleness of what a place that must be like. And some of that, I admit to you, was what helped me say, yes, Jesus, when he called my name. On that night in January 14, 2002, it was a fear of what was going to happen to my soul if I had not given to him. But it wasn't only that. And I, don't, I don't promote that we live for God simply out of a fear of hell. We'll never find the fulfillment and find the blessings in Jesus if that's the, the motivation of why exactly. But it should help influence it. I, I think I'm, I'm okay to say that. And my brothers, it's okay. We should fear that place. We should not want to go there. The Bible says, I said about how it says concerning hell, it also talks about heaven, and we've got to bring in that side. John 14, 2, we just read these verses today to Sister Vivian, who was probably listening on the phone tonight. She told us she'd be listening in as she's laying there in her bed, 92 years old. John 14, 2, we read, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. 1 Corinthians 2.9, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. It's going to be a glorious surprise for the saints when they get home, but it's going to be a terrible, terrible, terrible rude awakening for the one who's not ready. Sound doctrine, the word of God, brings that home to us if we're willing to read it. Lastly tonight, sound doctrine proclaims salvation by grace. We're living in the day of grace. Salvation is extended. The invitation is open for you and for me, for every one of us, regardless of who we are. And it's so beautiful. Ephesians 2 8 says, for by, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's nothing we can do. It's absolutely nothing that we can put on. We can't go out and perform the right works and say the kind words and do the right things. It's not going to work. It is the gift of God. It is the precious gift. Something that Jesus brings and he gives to us. And you simply receive it and there's nothing that you can do to earn it. But Jesus wants every one of us to receive that gift. The gift of salvation. It is beautiful. It's not his will that one man, one woman, one person would perish from knowing him. It's not of works lest any man should boast. Salvation is free. It is a gift. This is why tonight we should be passionate about reading our Bibles. This is why we should be passionate about not just reading our Bibles, not just going through those motions of saying, okay, I spent 10 minutes, I spent 20 minutes, I spent 30 minutes, I spent however minutes in the Word of God today, good. God is smiling His smile of approval on my life. But the meditation of it all the, all the day long, the gaining it in the mind, but letting it come down and saturate itself in the heart and do a transformation, it helps me talk kindly to my children it helps me love the brother that is so unlovely and so difficult to love 
It helps me go to my coworker who is lost and just maybe pray with him if he's struggling that day. It is a power that comes on us and as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts because we've spent time with the Holy Spirit just a little while ago in the, in the Word of God, with God himself. He is the one that changes us and transforms us and gives us the courage and, again, the power to do what we otherwise will not do. And this is whenever we begin to hang our heads again in failure because we know of opportunities. We're going to give you an opportunity to just testify and confess and share some of those opportunities in a little bit where you know there's somebody that God brought into your life, or maybe it's just you yourself, where you've spurned or you've resisted the call of the Holy Spirit to work out a situation. But it's because you were denying the power of God and His Holy Spirit within you. And so often we're prone to leave the God that we love, the God that we want to honor, the God that we want to worship, but then all of this over here is pulling for my attention. And so we dabble and we play with it just a little bit. And we spend time with it over here a little bit. And we forget about God. And we put God on the back burner. And the Bible stays shut. And the dust continues to collect. And we expect the preacher to give us what we need to get through the week. And the list goes on. The Bible is for our absolute best in mind. That's who our God is. Just in case you didn't get enough. Listen carefully. The Bible contains the mind of God. The Bible contains the state of man. The Bible contains the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. Its decisions are unchangeable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. And practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here, paradise is restored. Heaven is open and the gates of hell disclosed. Jesus Christ is the grand subject of the whole entire Bible. Our good is its design. The glory of God is its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. The word of God, read it slowly frequently and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, will be opened in the judgment, and will be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its holy contents. All scripture, from the front cover to the back, is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and for instruction in righteous living. In righteous living. I close this message by sharing one more story. One that I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get exactly right. I actually talked with one of the sons of this family, a family who was making a difference in their community and, and beyond. A husband and wife who had 11 children. I don't even have enough fingers to get that many, but 11 children. And mom and dad loved God, and they were passionate in their walk with him. And all 11 children were in the church as well. And they were glowing testimonies of the person of Jesus and the desire for the lost to come into the fold. Sounds, sounds beautiful, right? Well, one day a man asked one of the sons of this family, he said, Can you tell me, what is it about your family that is different? from most, even in our settings, even in our community. Can you tell me something that is different? And the son, as he thought about that, he said, the only way I know how to give you an answer is by telling you a story. And so he began to say about a time, he said, Dad, and Dad would always prioritize the family altar. He said every day. There wasn't a day went by, maybe there was some times there was something going on where mom would have to just pull them aside and read a verse before they would go off to school. But there was always, the word of God was always brought into their lives every day. And he said one morning, they were, they, they were on a dairy farm, they milked cows. He said, I don't know what happened if the electric didn't, I'm not sure what was the matter, but he said they did not hear their alarm clock go off. And they woke up two hours late. And he said at this point, we were young, most of us were in school, he said we we knew that this wasn't a good situation. The cows were bawling when we got out there. He said, we went out to milk, and he said, a couple of us brothers told each other, I wonder what Dad's going to do this morning. Because he said, we always had time to gather around the family and pour out our praise to God in song and our petitions to God in prayer. 
He said it was something that we had to do every day. He said as we were milking cows, he said we barely got started and the milkman pulled in. He was going to take the milk. And dad went out and said, I'm sorry, but maybe you should go to the next farm and then come back. He said we started late and we're in the middle of milking. And I'm not sure. I think the milkman just, just sat there and waited. And the boys looked at each other and they said, it's coming, it's coming. And sure enough, it wasn't long until it was about time for them to gather, gather into the house for family worship before they ate breakfast and headed off to school. And he said, sure enough, Dad came back. He looked at the boys and said, boys, hang up the milkers. It's time for family worship. A man who was willing to sacrifice upset cows, <laughs> a schedule that was messing up his milkman, his own income probably somewhat, he wasn't worried about that, if you will. He wanted to prioritize and, and feed into the lives of his children that God was number one. And so he said, well, we hung up the milkers and we went in and we gathered around the family altar and we began to pour out our praises and our petitions to God. He said, that is what I would give you as the reason for our family to be who we are is because dad instilled within us that we must make God first and foremost. We must open up our Bibles. And I don't know, I don't know what God sees when he looks down from heaven on a Monday morning or a Wednesday morning or a Friday morning and he looks into your homes and he looks into my home. How committed are we to loving him? How committed are we to just saying, God, please come into my life today and show me Please walk before me and show me your will and your way. Help me, God, to be kind to those that I'm around. Help me, God, to just have a word for somebody. God, help me just to have a smile on my face. Whatever it is, Lord, will you help me? Will you keep that in my heart and my mind today as I walk with you? Why do we forget that so easily? I believe tonight, if we want to be revived, <laughs> this is revival meetings. We need to walk with God. We need to love his word. We need to meditate on his precepts and let him fill us with himself. I don't believe we're going to give an invitation tonight. We're going to open it up publicly for you to just express what is on your heart, how God is speaking to you tonight. It will edify the brotherhood. It will bless the brotherhood, and it will be the best for you as you are sincere and as you confess your need. If everybody here in... in and Bethany Mennonite Church just has this all figured out, then I want you to talk to me afterwards. I want you to, to teach me how you've done it and how you've arrived. And I, I know that that's not real. Who wants to be first tonight to acknowledge what is on your heart? All right, well, thank you so much for sharing. God bless you for that, for the acknowledging, acknowledgments that you made and for the confessions that was made. Let the redeemed of God be built up in him. Let the power of God come into our lives. May we be zealous of sound doctrine. May we find the Bible a sacred treasure and a wonderful avenue in which we come close to our master and find his will for our lives. I think we're going to ask us just to stand to our feet for a closing prayer and then we'll have a verse of song. And Brother Jonathan, would you, would you remember the requests and the needs and the acknowledgement and just uh, give us a benedictory prayer as well?